0: right oh. Well, welcome, everyone. There's a big row of people at the back, I don't know. Hello, people I don't know. OK, after, after World War II ended in 1945, a massive explosion occurred. And now, it wasn't more nuclear testing. It was the birth rate. And those who were born from the mid-1940s to the mid-1960s are what's known as the baby boomers. Is there anyone consider themselves a baby boomer by that generation, a few of you? Yep. Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't just that all of the soldiers were suddenly returning home and, and so thinking we'd better quickly start a family. Um, and it wasn't just because the world could breathe easier because those pesky Nazis had been soundly trounced. It was a new age of prosperity. And it led to a massive increase in the number of children being born. But at the same time, there, was, there it is a new age of medical advances, which meant there was a huge reduction in infant mortality. And then since then, there's been continuing medical advances that, that have raised life expectancies quite markedly. And so now, uh, Western countries have actually reached a place of crisis. Um, because it's Western countries because that's where the baby boomers mostly live. The baby boomers have now pretty much most of them left working age and are now retired. And so we've seen a massive increase in the number of service industries um, who who are now there to service retirees. And now today in 2022, the oldest of the baby boomers are now in their mid 70s. And so over the next 10 to 30 years, there's gonna be a massive spike um, in in the number of people in our communities who are in need of significant aged care. Uh, Once again, uh, advances in medicine means that many who in the past would have quickly died of of acute illnesses um, at that age, things like heart attack, stroke, asthma, even simple infections or cancer or the flu or things like COVID. In the past, acute illnesses like these um, were especially dangerous for for the older folk. And and it meant a lot of people back in the day would have died reasonably quickly, uh, but these things are more treatable now. Um, So that means that in the long run, that there's gonna be a massive number of people who are gonna need some significant long-term care, uh, perhaps for decades. Now, the governments of Western countries are actually very worried about this uh, because the attitude of most of us is, well, it's the government's job to look after me. Uh, I paid my taxes when I was young, therefore they have to look after me while I'm old. And so with the cost of aged care ballooning this is actually gonna put a massive impost onto the generations who are still currently working and paying tax, right? So there's a little, a little opener, there's a little lesson on demographics, but, but why are we talking about that today? It's because the topic today is about caring for our family and specifically about caring for our aging family, caring for our biological family and caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ, caring for our church family as they age. And so the message today is actually going to be quite relevant because some of us here are the aged, the rest of us are getting older. But also there's going to be some challenging things here for all of us, I think. So let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, your church is the community of faithful believers following you together. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would be a people who have an immense love for one another, that we would be a people who care for one another, because as we love your children, we are loving you. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would become a people who give, no matter what the cost is to ourselves, but we also pray that when it's required, that you would give us a resolve to give tough love to those who are shirking their own responsibilities. And Lord, give us wisdom to know the difference. And so speak to us now through your word, amen. Righto, so um, for our visitors, we've been, we work our way through whole books of the Bible. And the book that we're in at the moment is First Timothy. And we're up to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Is that... Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honour widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, They learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Right, Righto. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Now, Timothy's pretty much fulfilling the role of a pastor in, in the church in Ephesus. Uh, but, but what we realise as we read this letter is it's written in such a way that it, it's not only for Timothy the pastor, right? This is a letter for us as well. Um, is for the whole church, for us to hear, to know, and to understand. And as I read this section of the letter, I I realised there's a couple of dimensions at play here. Firstly, there's direction for the church in in how to provide care. And I'm going to summarise that with respect, assess, provide. But there's also direction there for those who might be coming into a time of needing care Um, but it's actually broader than that because it takes it way back to a person's life history and so it's actually about godly living for all of us in every stage of life that we're at and for these I'm going to summarise it with self-provision where possible service always and prayer right so let's begin with the directions for the church respect as the church we're a family um are we not are we a family good um and as a family we we don't belittle one another we don't look down upon one another and we don't devalue people because we don't feel they have anything to offer us as a family of jesus we love honor and respect each other and paul reminds timothy of this that the normal practice should be to encourage rather than rebuke, right So an older man, you 'd treat as your dad. a younger, younger man, you treat as your brother. Uh, an older woman, you treat as your mum, and a young, younger woman, you treat her as your sister. And he throws in an extra one here. Timothy, as a bloke, treat the younger women with all purity. Right? Don't see them as possible liaisons. don't see them as a buffet to select from or have a little taste of. Treat them with all purity. The women are your sisters in Christ. They are the holy ones of the Lord, and they are to be treated as the holy ones that they are. And and this is what godliness looks like, the way that we relate to one another. Now, as we read our Bibles, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's pretty obvious that God has a deep, deep concern for widows. But why widows and not widowers? Now, for the younger ones, you might know the difference. A a widow is a lady whose husband has died. A widower is a man whose wife has died. Why the deep concern for widows and not so much for widowers? Well, about 20 years ago, you would never ask that question because it was just known. Um, It was obvious. It was well known why widows in particular particularly vulnerable but now it might seem to uh, to even think about this might seem terribly old-fashioned because our modern society wants us to believe that everyone can be strongly independent and women don't need men but in reality traditionally and this is still the case in most of the world today the man has been the breadwinner Uh, but even if he's not so for an example in my house. Robin's the main breadwinner. I'm but a lowly pastor. Um, Even if the man is not the main breadwinner, the fact of the matter is God has designed men and women differently. Men are stronger. And, And and men and women are generally wired differently. We function differently. We do different things. And that's why marriage is such a wonderful thing. It's a partnership where a husband depends upon the wife and the wife depends upon the husband. But while men are physically stronger, it's usually the women who live longer. Now, if you have a look at that chart up there. Can I pop the chart up, Robin? So if you look at that chart up there, that's the difference in in expected life expectancies of of men and women. And I I noticed on that chart that it it varies over time. And I was born in 1969, and that's about where the biggest gap is between men and women. Women Robin's expected to live a lot longer than me. And then if you bring genetics into it, Prumptons don't live that long. And Stebbins, well, you met Robin's 101-year-old grandmother a few weeks ago. I think you're going to live a long time past me. Um, And so in my age group, I think in general about five years longer a a woman will live than a man. And for a woman, when the man whom she has depended on for her whole married life dies and she's left all alone, all of a sudden there's no one to take care of the things that he used to take care of. Now, of course, for different people, those things will be quite different. He might have been the one who used to take care of the finances. He might have been the one who did the heavy lifting around the place. He might have been the one who did the outside work, the mowing, the pruning, the gardening. He might have been Mr. Fix-It, when the the door hinge needed oiling, or when the the door latch needed fixing, or where the dripping tap needed fixing, or whatever. He might have been the one that did all of that. He might have been the one who knew stuff about cars, He knew when the car needed replacing. He knew when the car needed fixing and and he wasn't going to get ripped off because he knew round about what it should cost for it to get fixed. And he knew when the tyres needed to be replaced and when they didn't. And Whatever the case, when the husband dies, there's no one to do the things that he once used to do. And so Paul says, honour widows who are truly widows. But what does he mean by that? I mean, like, surely if a lady's husband has died, she's truly a widow. Well, well, yes, but not for the purposes of going on the list of widows that the church is going to provide for. And this is what he's getting at. Right? So the church don't have the resources to provide for everyone. Right? Not even our taxation-funded welfare system can afford to provide for everyone. And that's why most benefits um, in the welfare system means tested you know I mean by means tested they if you earn enough money you don't get that particular thing or if you have enough assets you don't get that particular benefit now the church has been means testing long before public welfare was ever even thought of now some folk aren't very happy with that and they feel well it's only fair if everybody gets treated equally so we should all receive the same benefits not so. It is obscene for charity to be given to the rich, and which is why, as a church, we are generous to those who are truly in need. So, when it comes to widows, how does the church know if this is someone the church needs to be providing for? Well, firstly, it's someone who has no family to look after them. It's someone who is truly alone. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they're the ones who should be helping her with her needs. As Christians, this is something we all must learn, how to show godliness to members of our own family first. And Paul says this is pleasing in the sight of God. He also says something quite cutting. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right? And when, when he talks about being worse than an unbeliever, I mean, even an unbeliever knows that it's right for us to look after our parents in their old age. But it's really sad we live in a culture that tries to outsource everything that we don't really want to do ourselves. Um, We try to professionalise everything. It is a godly thing for Christians to look after their ageing parents. It is a godly thing for Christian grandchildren to care for their ageing grandparents. Now, Jesus made this very clear that the Pharisees, they, they used to shirk their responsibilities. Um, some of them would say, yeah, look, I, I know that we're supposed to look after our parents in their old age and stuff, but I'm going to dedicate that time and money to God's stuff. And, and their tradition said, if you did that, you're off the hook. If you dedicate it to, to God's stuff, you're off the hook. They called it korban. You can read about it in Mark chapter seven, and you'll very quickly find that Jesus found that that practice absolutely abhorrent. But what do we do in our culture? We pack them up and we send them off to the old folks home and we let the paid professionals look after them. And then we convince ourselves that it's because we have their best welfare at heart and the professionals know how to do it much better than I do. Well, maybe there may come a time for that when when our loved ones do need full-on medical care But way too many of the elderly are just dropped off at the old folks' home because their family don't want to be tied down. And it's all about our own freedom. Right? So it is our responsibility as Christians to first care for our own parents and our ageing grandparents. And for us as a church, we step in for those who are truly alone, for those who have no one to look after them. Right, so that's one of the assessments. What else do we assess? Well, this is actually where it gets a little bit tougher. And this assessment gets tougher here because it requires a level of judgment. Um, Basically, we're given a picture of godliness. In the church, we take care of our own, right? The easiest way I can say this, Is the godly, take care of the godly. The children of God, take care of other children of God. Why? Because we're family. We're God's family. So how do we know if this person is a child of God? And the needs are always there. People are always asking. I've got a landline at home. Um, for those of you who don't know what a landline is, that's a telephone that's actually connected with wires, okay? You can't just put it in your pocket and take it with you. Um, and I've told you before, hardly anyone ever rings me on it. And I reckon there'd be 90%, maybe 95% chance that if I get a phone call on the landline, it's somebody looking for a handout. Um, so when somebody wants money for fuel, or money for a bus ticket, or if they've run themselves short and, and, and want money for tucker, or whatever, because they, they can't wait until their next welfare payment, many people, their attitude is, well, the church will look after me. That's the job of the church. Now, we, we, have, we have a policy, we will not see anyone go hungry. So we keep loaves of bread in the freezer. We keep packets of two-minute noodles in the pantry. If I've got sweet potatoes growing, I'll go and dig up a few sweet potatoes and give them some some of those. Um, If we've got some oranges on the tree, we'll take them as well. And yeah, basically if we've got stuff, we'll share food. But you know what? Most people are not happy with that. And well, no, I I don't want those things, I, I want money. And I remember one lady said to me, well, what do you do? If you, if, you don't, if you won't give me fuel and if you won't give me money, what do you do? I said, ah, let me introduce you to Jesus. And she hung up on me. Yes, we all love people. We love all people because God loves all people. We love. But sometimes we have to show tough love And if godliness is demonstrated by caring for our family first, then godliness is demonstrated by caring for our church family. And how do we assess if this is someone in our church family? Godliness. The godly care for the godly. God's children care for God's children. And so a judgment call has to be made. But the thing with making a judgment call is firstly we have to take a good hard look at ourselves. Right? Most of us as Christians we know that, that verse is you know, judge not lest you also be judged. And then we know the thing, you know, don't, don't try and take a speck out of your brother's eye if you've got a log in your own eye and we pull it up at that. But where does the message finish? The message finishes, get the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not that we should never make a judgment call. It means we must inspect ourselves first. And so if we are to be judging, okay, is this a godly person? The first thing we should be looking at is ourselves. Am I godly? Am I living in a godly way? So let's move on to the second point. Godly living. Godly living for the aged and godly living for all of us. As those who have been saved, as those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, how should we live? We live as disciples of Jesus, following our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are given a picture of godliness In a very practical sense, self provision where possible, service always, and prayer. Wherever we are able, we should be providing for ourselves. Paul was very blunt about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 when he said, If a man will not work, then he will not eat. If I am able to work, no matter how menial the work, I must work. And even the elderly are valuable, productive members of society. And this is a godly thing. The thing is, many people today believe that it is their right to not work. And many of the elderly believe, I don't have to work anymore. Other people can support me. I've worked long enough and now I want the pension because I've done enough work and I want to enjoy life now. My granddad, uh, into his late 70s, it might have been even his early 80s, I'm not sure, but definitely his late 70s, he used to, every week, deliver meals on wheels to the old people in in his late 70s. Um, And he used to get a bit frustrated at times He'd, he'd turn up at somebody's door to, with their meal to deliver and there'd be a note on the door saying, leave it on the patio, I've gone out to play bowls. And what really used to frustrate my granddad is, if, you, if you're fit enough to play bowls, why aren't you cooking your own meals? Because here he was, that, that was his life, serving other people. Now, verse nine says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Now, 60 isn't that old, is it? Tell you what, back then it was. It was very old back then. Health-wise and life expectancy-wise, 60 back then would be more like 75 or 80 today. So I think what, what Paul's really saying is, if you are still able to look after yourself, do so don't expect others to do what you can do for yourself and you know what it's good for you to look after yourself if you are able no matter how old we are and and he worries that that younger widows could become idlers going about from house to house not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not you know the old saying idle hands are the workers of the devil it's not a biblical quote, but it's, it's a true proverb. Um, God has designed us to be kept busy. And for the widow, there's two paths. If the opportunity is there, if she's still young enough, he's saying, feel free to remarry, even have children again. But there is another beautiful way of being a widow. Being a widow for Jesus so let's talk about the godliness of serving every one of us are able to serve in all sorts of ways the trouble is too often we fill our lives up with too much other stuff and we starve ourselves of the time that we would need to serve others you know what we all have enough time to serve God has given each one of us the same number of hours in the day, same number of minutes in the hour. We all have time to serve others. We just need to rearrange the priorities that we've set for ourselves in our own lives. We can't blame anyone other than ourselves if we feel that we don't have time to serve. It can be changed. It can be rearranged. It can be prioritised. Now, I introduced this message by talking about the baby boomer generation and how that's going to be a real challenge for our nation. But you know what? What will become a real challenge for our nation should at the moment be becoming an enormous blessing for the church and for the spread of the gospel. More people than ever before have saved up for their retirements and they're now hitting the age of retirement. And many of them are still fit and healthy and movable. I want to say here I want you to hear today that if you are nearing the age of retirement, if you have the resources so you don't need to work anymore, what's your plans? What are you going to be doing for the next year? What are your plans for the next five years? What are your plans for the next decade? And where does the godliness of serving fit into those plans? Is that something you sort of tack on and go, well, I could probably fit that in here, I could probably fit that in here, or has that actually been paramount in your plans for your life? Where do I fit the godliness of serving into those plans, or do I actually form those plans around the, the opportunities to serve? In every town that I've ever lived in, um, I've watched the elderly. And something that I've always noticed is some draw on services, even when they're fit and healthy, they, they like to draw on services while others eagerly serve, eagerly serve. Even when they they start getting a bit frail themselves, they're still wanting to eagerly serve. And even an elderly widow can serve. She has a hope set on God. She prays night and day. Oh, what I would give to have a dozen widows in this church who are godly women, praying night and day. Their heart is set on the Lord. What I would give for that. Imagine what the Lord would do in this community. Imagine the number of people who would come to faith if we had a dozen godly women praying day and night. That's the way to live. The opposite of this, we find in verse 6. He says, but, but she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. You see, there's two extreme opposites here. There's the self-indulgent person who, "Eh, I'm old now, it's my time now, it's all about me now. And God's word says, if you're like that, you're dead. Even if you think you're alive, you are spiritually dead. But compare that to the elderly widow whose heart is set on God and she prays and she prays and she prays but the lesson here is not only for the widows the lesson is godliness begins now even in one's youth even in one's middle-agedness I don't know if that's a word whatever it is the self-indulgent are dead, but those whose hearts are set on the Lord and serve, live. Paul gives a beautiful picture of a godly woman who's run a race, but but in her earlier years, she's brought up kids, she's shown hospitality, she's washed the feet of the saints, that means she's served God's people, she's cared for the afflicted, she has devoted herself to every good work and this my friends is the godliness of serving and the lord is calling us the lord is calling you the lord is calling me to a life of service it's a life of service that begins now we don't we don't have to wait until we've built up our nest egg before we can start serving We don't have to wait until the children have grown up before we can start serving. And it doesn't stop when we retire. And it doesn't stop when we get old. Godliness is a very practical, down-to-earth thing. Self-provision where we are able. Service always. And prayer. No, No matter what stage of life we're in, self-indulgence that's the way of the world it's an expression of spiritual death prayerful service is an expression of profound godliness now I don't know about you but I can't read stuff like this without being deeply challenged and and how how can I hear this and not be changed I'm going to finish off now with a very short prayer and I'm going to let God speak to you. Let's pray. Lord, I repent of self-indulgence. How do you want me to serve you through the church? In this stage of life I am in, or in this stage of life I'm entering right now, show me the difference between self-indulgence and serving. How would you have me serve to honour you, the one who gave everything for me? Lord, speak to our heart. We want to be bold enough to say nothing is off-limits, Lord. All of our hopes and dreams and plans that that we have made for ourselves, we put all these at the foot of the cross. Or maybe we nail them to the cross. We say, Lord, change our plans to make them plans for you. Amen.